have a crack. He is, you know. Oh, and they! Brilliant! The run from Giggs! Sensational goal from Ryan Giggs! Still John Barnes, Collymore closing in! Welcome to the 90s Football Hall of Fame show, a podcast brought to you by thefootballfaithful.com. I'm Steve McGovern and I'll be the captain for this episode. I'm joined by first team regular Peter Henry. Peter, how's it going? Evening, lads. And returning for yet another appearance, he hasn't left the place, it's freelance football writer and the Premier League's foremost expert on touchline fashion, Stephen Tudor. Steve, how's it going? Uh, it's, it's going well. I apologise for the mess. <laughs> well, uh, people may have read your, your piece on uh, the most stylish football yeah. managers and uh, a bit of controversy here anyway uh, i mean frank lampard number one i mean the very next week he went out and he wore i mean i, d- I don't even know what to describe it as but uh, he totally made a mockery of your list he did it's as if he read it and thought right i'll show him i think i'm sure you'd be pleased with the kind of backlash it got because everyone was offended that scott parker wasn't number one this brings up an interesting thing and, and come in peter whenever you, whenever you want on this because my wife would say that well wearing the same thing every week is not style do you know what I mean? Mm. And Scott Parker does that a bit. He wears a very nice suit. He's got the clip tie and everything like that. But he wears the same thing every week. I don't know. Do, do you guys agree? Is that is that being stylish or is that just just being monotonous? He's got if, if something works, if, if it's not broken, don't fix it. He rocks the shit out of that out, outfit he wears every week. So I say more power to him. You see, yeah. like the thing, a young Pep Guardiola is number one in my eyes. He was a slick looking motherfucker, but now he's experimenting too much. One day he looks a million dollars and the next day he looks like a hobo. So I think Scott should just stick to, to what works for him. He obviously goes to the same men's shop and just says, OK, slightly different shade of grey this week. Thanks, lads. And, and away he goes. Um, he's like Steve he Jobs. Like he's just got a closet full of 60 of the one outfit. Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> Pretty much, but like I wear, I, I wear. My missus always slags me because I wear dark jeans and I, I mix up the color of my Fred Perry polo shorts. That's about it. That's all I own, really. So that's probably why I, I'm backing up Scott Parker on this. Yeah, I'd be a hypocrite if I didn't agree because that's why I put David Moyes relatively high, which again got me some flack. But the thing with Moyes, I think, is he's found a style. What suits him, it works for him, and he goes with it. It's not my style. I don't particularly like it, but you know, it works for him. And he's been consistent with that. So, yeah, the same goes for Scott, I think. Jose was revolutionary. Jose brought Jose yeah, definitely. style back in the day. The hush puppies. Hush puppies were unheard of on the sideline in English football. Up until that point. <laughs> Who do you think is the, the most fashionable, like, of all time? Like, especially in the, in the, in the 90s. Like, who, who, are we, uh, who are we going for here, lads? I'm a sucker. And it's not the 90s. It's probably 70s. But and this won't surprise you as well. And I'm a sucker for any manager who smokes. So it's... Basically, the kind of Argentinian kind of nineteen seventies look, long hair, long collars, chain smoking on the touchline. That's football management for that's, me. That's that's Minotti you're thinking about, isn't it? it Cesar is. Lewis Minotti, yeah. It. Oh. Yes, yeah. Unbelievable. Lippy yes. smoked, didn't he? Yeah, yeah. did. Yes, yeah. A load of Italians did. It's um, Cruyff as well, of course. I mean, Cruyff smoked as a player, so um, yeah, that that's that's stylish for me. There's a photo of Cruyff after a game smoking yeah. a smoking a fag, yeah. and it just it just it made me want to smoke. To be honest with you, um, <laughs> it's a classic photo. Like 
there's me because I just googled this now, and obviously, uh, Balls at E, of course, it's Balls at E, have a piece uh, from six years ago called Whatever Happened to Smoking Football Managers? And yeah, there's a, <laughs> one of the first photos is Marcello Lippi with this smoke dangling in the air, uh, Cesar Lewis Minotti. Funnily enough, his name has gone out of my head. Uh, the German manager, Yo- uh, Yogi Love. There's a picture of yes. him in like an executive box having a cigarette indoors, really? the man. Yeah, yeah. So all that kind of picking his nose and eating it might be a kind of, you know, getting over the actual uh, giving up smoking. Yeah, maybe. Yeah, you're right. It's like a, it's like some sort of like tick where he, he just has to, uh, yeah. he's trying to get over the That the was habit. him, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah it was him. Yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, yeah, you better you better hope uh, Julian Nagelsmann doesn't land up in the Premier League in the next year or two. You might have to rework mm. your fist there. Yeah. Oh man, we did a podcast where we were um, we basically voted him in as our ideal replacement for Pep, and then two days after that, we saw that outfit. It's like, oh Jesus! Like he he do, he does dress kind of like even German managers. It's kind of jeans on the touchline now. But like, I'm sorry, like that's just looking for attention. Wearing a suit yeah. like that on like one of the biggest games of your career at Old Trafford. It's the I I text into our WhatsApp group. I was like, that's the equivalent to wearing bright white boots. Like you better you better win and you better <laughs> score and you better be good because otherwise you're getting ripped to shreds. But then afterwards, saying like, oh well, I don't want to talk about my my suit. I want to talk about the game. And it's yeah. like, why did you wear a suit that was so loud? <laughs> like, why would you do that? Like, it's unbelievable. But like with Guardiola, like somebody pointed out a while ago, it's like Guardiola isn't stylish. He's skinny and good looking. Which I was like, hmm, that might be true because he is a man who goes around wearing cargo pants to his day job. Like yeah. it's, it's a bit like I don't think you can call someone stylish when they do that. But um, look, enough about this. Enough about uh, high fashion. We got to get on to the important business of the '90s Football Hall of Fame because this week's entrant is none other than Leicester City legend Muzzy. Is it? I know, Steve, you're very excited about this one. Woo-hoo! So my first, my first question to you is, where does he rank in the list of all-time great English football names? He's top. <laughs> he's right at the top. No, he is someone who I think is perfect for this podcast because his name evokes the 1990s. So that in itself is a plus. But it can also be a negative, I think. I think he's very, very underrated, Muzzy it because he's got so many Zs in his name and he's so symbolic of kind of this nostalgic kind of, you know, 1990s that... We look back upon him affectionately, whereas he was a gritty, gnarly, energetic fizz bomb of a, a midfielder who had so much quality going for him. So I think his actual footballing ability is somewhat overlooked in comparison to kind of what he came to symbolise. Um, and also with a team as well. I mean, you know, I'm sure Peter's going to discuss this because we talked about it off air. That Leicester team, pure 90s. Um, and he was kind of right there in the centre of all that. So... Yeah, it's really good to be able to kind of say out loud, Muzzy is it, was a fucking brilliant footballer. Yeah, it's, he's one of those where as as time goes on, he seemed more ordinary, in, you know what I mean? Like, um, yeah, which is yeah. totally unfair, but he's one of those players maybe who, you know, he was great for Leicester City, obviously, but maybe his reputation didn't take him that far into the future. And obviously we'll get into it later. I mean, like he retired fairly early in his career, so maybe that has something to do with it as well. But uh, Peter, I mean, w- when did you first notice Muzzy? Is it when did he first kind of come into your consciousness? As part of 
you know, Martin O'Neill's Leicester team that, that came up from the first division and really held their own. I, I couldn't give you an exact game or anything like that, but I can guarantee you the first time I saw him, I, I knew who he was and I didn't forget because there's no dressing it up. Like a name like Muzzy Izzet was just as exotic as it got. In, you know, back <laughs> in, in the East night. Midlands. <laughs> exactly. Like I was saying about wearing white boots, you better be good when you have a name like Muzzy Izzet. Like, you know what I mean? And, and, and he certainly was. And, because the rest, and like he, he's born or he moved over to England, he's Turk, Turkish and Cypriot uh, descent. But, you know, by all, like he's pretty much English in that he, he grew up here his whole life. I think he was born in London, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So And his parents were Turkish. Like that, as Steve was, say, uh, Steve was saying, that, that 90s team, like you even look at the other names and you think of the players, it's pure like old school 90s footballers, Steve Claridge, Steve Guppy, Matt Elliott, Robbie Savage, Neil Lennon, Steve Walsh, and then a young Emil Ivanhoe Heskey. <laughs> and, uh, and and obviously Muzzy Izzet. And, you know, they were, like we often, we've waxed lyrical about like the Middlesbrough team of the 1990s. And that Leicester team are kind of up there as one that really stick in, out in, sticks out in your mind because Martin O'Neill was this up-and-coming manager, you know, wearing the same top as Brian Clough. And, you know, they had this really, like, kind of really old-fashioned English-British team apart from Muzzy is it with this crazy name that was competing in a league and they really held their own they were 8th, ninth, and 10th I think 3 years in a row at a time when all these kind of foreigners were invading so um, and obviously the, the three league cups they become it's, such a great a, cup team so, it's a, a uh, very uh, very emotive language you use all these foreigners invading the English countryside yeah, know, yeah. no <laughs> you, you, you know what I mean we kind of you've been listening to Nigel Farage too much lately <laughs> yeah that's it that's it. You know, the best thing about Muzzy is its name as well is his middle name is Kamal, which is in itself is nothing spectacular, but that's also his brother's name. I've never encountered that before, where two brothers, one has a first name and the other shares that name, but has a middle name. That's really odd, isn't it? So Peter mentioned that, you know, that great team of the 90s. And where did Muzzy is it fit into that? You know, I, I seen him described as, as kind of the star midfielder. So what, what did he bring to that Leicester team that were so successful and so brilliant? Well, this is the thing. I want to talk about the midfield. Muzzy is it, Neil Lennon, Robbie Savage. I know Savage came a bit later. Because what fascinates me about that midfield three is the fact that you can't really, you can't say, right, he was beholder. He was at number 10. He was the box-to-box player. Normally, that's how you know, midfield three is kind of broken up. Three of them kind of did a bit of everything. And, you know, like, is it? He worked his socks off. He, he kind of always putting the tackles in, always hustling and harassing. That's, that's what he did for 90 minutes straight. But, you know, he could also thread passes through. Um, you know, he had a great touch. As I'm sure we're going to discuss, he had some spectacular goals. He had a lot of kind of, you know, pure ability, but he also was a right little bastard as well in the nicest possible way. So, and the same goes for Robbie Savage, same goes for Neil Lennon. And so really, I mean, I'm obviously you know, misremembering this. I am obviously wrong here because no manager would do this in their right mind. It feels like Martin O'Neill signed three identical players and put them in the one team. Yeah, Steve, I wouldn't agree with you there. I, I, I would say Muzzy is that it was by far superior technically yeah, fair point, Robbie yeah. Savage and, and Neil Lennon they were the kind of water carriers if if, if, if you were to use Eric Hansen's description they were the, they were kind of more the holders the workers that got the ball and gave it to Izzet that's not to say that Izzet 
didn't work his socks off as well because you couldn't not in a Martin O'Neill team. Yes, yeah. but you won't like if you go on to YouTube, there'll be six minute video of Muddy is just scoring screamer after screamer. You will not see that of Neil Lennon or Robbie <laughs> yeah, you know. Um, so, but and no insult to, to, to say, like I'm pro- probably more technically gifted than Robbie Savage and Neil Lennon. So, and he seemed to be one of them players that was perennially linked with a move to a bigger club, or maybe not even like the you know maybe United or Arsenal in them days, but like you know going to Borough when they had money, were after him for years, and he just never seemed to actually move on, but. He was seen as one of the, the kind of... I, I describe him as an eight, kind of, you know? Yeah, he, he was a really, really good player in his day. Well, do you know that actually in 2001, he was on the verge of moving to Leeds United and it broke down and it had nothing to do with uh, how he played or where they thought he might fit in. But apparently uh, it was because he was Turkish and his name was Muzzy Izzet and they didn't think the fans would like that. So the wow. move just broke down. Yeah, oh, so, was that because of what happened in Istanbul? I think I think so because apparently the Leeds United like supporters club were selling like these beach towels and it had made in Turkey on it and the fans did not like that and they stopped selling them so that was yeah so obviously there was a, a sore point uh, naturally enough for for them so uh, yeah he nearly joined Leeds and that, obviously that team around that time two thousand one they were a brilliant team so he very nearly got that move that kind of maybe would have been like a a, a little a little bit of a step up. Steve, do you think he, he deserved that, that move? Because, like you know, Peter was saying there, you know, all talented midfielders, but he was probably that, that number 10 who had the quality to win tight games. And obviously, that's the kind of thing that, you know, around then, especially when number 10 was, was more, more useful than, than these days, you know, that's kind of what teams wanted to win games. Mm. I would definitely use a top six player, absolutely unquestionably. I mean, you know, play for Turkey, um, and there's a decent Turkey side as well. It got to the semi final of the World Cup. So, you know, he held his own there and he was linked to Middlesbrough for about half of my life. He was on the transfer list for like nearly a full season when they, when they went down Leicester, but it just never materialised his move. And there's West Ham interested as well. But, you know, Leicester were flying back then. I know, you know, when he was on the transfer list, they've gone down to the second division, but for a good period, they were in the top 10, they were flying and he proved his worth time and time again. So, you know, he's got nothing to kind of prove, if you like. It's not a case of what if, you know, can we imagine him to be this fantastic Premier League midfielder? He did that week in, week out for Leicester. But even so, I would have liked to have seen him move elsewhere just to see because Martin O'Neill, very much like Brian Clough, as Peter said earlier, one of those managers who players can excel under him, absolutely fly under him, and then just fail miserably elsewhere. So it would have been interesting to see if he was one of those players. I don't think, personally, he would have been. I think he would have done brilliantly, no matter where he'd gone. So we might as well get on to some of the, the goals, lads. And oh, I know, yeah. Peter, there are some brilliant ones on YouTube and the like, and uh, they are a real delight to watch. Yeah, absolutely. Like, his his volley, you know, one of them, it is a volley against Spurs, comes down from a height, cleared from a corner, he just catches on the sweet spot, up and down into the net. There's one, there's one uh, it's rolled to him about 35 yards out against Middlesbrough, right in the, on the corner of the edge of the box, and he just scorches into the top corner. There, there's some, yeah, just a couple of ones against Villa when he breaks through midfield, rounds the goalkeeper. There, there's some absolutely... Top, top class goals. Well worth the watch. I, I sent it around to, to a good few of my mates when I started looking at it myself earlier because it was a real trip 
you know, trip back to, to 90s Premier League. I just wanted to t- say one story actually I read today that was brilliant before we keep going with the goals was so kind of 90s Premier League as well. It's that on the eve of the 1999-2000 League Cup, they were playing Tranmere in the semis and they had a week off before it. So Martin O'Neill took them over to Tenerife the week before and basically there was no training organised or anything, no curfew. All the bars were out, you know, the lads were out in the bars. They went for a jog. They went for a jog every evening, or sorry, every morning, went on the piss. Martin O'Neill used to play cricket with them during the day on the beach, came back, won the semi-final, went, went and bet Spurs in the final. Like, how nice, imagine a, a modern manager <laughs> bringing his team to Tenerife. And like he even said when they were flying, they had to fly over on a six o'clock in the morning flight, basically a Ryanair job because Leicester didn't have much money at the time. <laughs> and then they went, went on the beer for a week like, and then come back and, and, and win a major trophy. It's just... It's just crazy when you football's so professional now and you find out that like this is what's actually going on behind the scenes when when people are winning winning major trophies 20 years ago it's it's I just you lo- you love to hear about it you I, know I've I've always said Martin O'Neill was a mastermind <laughs> Yeah he could, the, could do no wrong at that time Martin O'Neill though he Yeah did, yeah like, I mean yeah. he was he was at one point tipped to be the next Man United manager when Alex yeah, Ferguson yeah. And it's kind of really funny to think of that now because, like, oh, but God. A lot, oh. Of, a lot of that team as well, Steve, I yeah. think one of the reasons a lot of people kind of really enjoyed watching them was because Muzzy Izzet had been let go by Chelsea. Martin O'Neill got him going. Robbie Savage let go by United. Neil Lennon, he took from Crew or Wickham Wanderers. So there was a lot of journeymen, the Claridges and, and the Matt Elliotts and stuff. But then there was a, a lot of players who'd been let go by other clubs and Martin O'Neill was getting a tune out of them. So it was kind of easy to get. Because the first couple of years, Muzzy as it was around, they didn't say every... T- he was one of them players that they'd always go, former Chelsea Youth Academy player, Muzzy is it, you know? Mm. Um, and then one of my... Favorite, most underrated football bits of football commentary was after he scored the goal. I think it's against he scores a beautiful curler against Leeds. I think it is at Filbert Street or classic nineties ground. It's kind of reminisce, reminiscent of that great curling goal that Bergkamp scored against against Sunderland in the FA Cup. It just kind of slowly spins and curls into the corner, and the ref and the the commentator goes, "Muzzy, is it? Is it?" Oh, yes, it is. <laughs> <laughs> Just cleared there straight out to is it? Is it good? Is it brilliant? As he is it, has seen an unstoppable shot. Straight back in for one of the best goals you'll ever see. Genius. Classic. I mean, there was another great goal that he scored at home against Leeds in 1998, and Nigel Martin, the goalkeeper, tries to head it away, heads it straight to Muzzy Izzet, of course, and on you know first time in step volley, almost lobs it over the keeper, and Nigel Martin is like running back, and he just has his arms out in front of him, just kind of like running very slowly trying to catch it, and it just floats right over his head. It's very satisfying to watch. So, Steve, do you have a, a favourite Muzzy Izzet finish? Yeah, undoubtedly for me, it's the overhead kick against Grimsby. Actually having to go away from goal to make the connection you know he, he, it was perfect picture perfect that was right up there one of the top three kind of bicycle kicks i've ever seen in my life it it, it couldn't it can't be bettered frankly and uh, the only thing i let it down is it was against grimsby and you know it wasn't in kind of a world cup group stage or something even wider is in now 
Goes over the outstretched leg of the defender and hooks the ball across here. Oh, fantastic goal! Mostly is it? What a goal from the Turkish international! That's right out of the top draw. And that's why Leicester are near the top of the first division. A goal of absolute quality. A stunning strike from Muzzy, is it? His spectacular goals were spectacular in, in the truest possible way, you know, in the most literal way possible, where they just drop your jaw to the floor and, and just get you up to see him, just give you that thrill of seeing it. You can watch it over and over on YouTube. Yeah, like Peter said before, they're all on YouTube. Definitely go and check them out because this guy was, he never played for a top six side, you know. He was never firmly established as a first-team regular for his country. And yet he scored goals like this. He, he was a special player, is it? Yeah, absolutely he was. And like you mentioned earlier, he had a little bit of, a, of an international career with Turkey, despite not speaking any Turkish. And He only went to the country once before, but he also played in a, in a World Cup semi-final. So he had a good time of it, but uh, he had an interesting story about his unusual process of, of getting uh, accepted by his new teammates. He once said, I remember the other players gathering around me in the changing room, pointing and staring, wanting to know if I had it done, if I was, quote, a good Turkish boy. So I showed them. They nodded their approval. And that was that. I can safely say that I've never shown my penis before or since to a group of approving young men. But if nothing else, <laughs> it seemed to help the bonding process. So there you we, go. We've all been there. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, the interesting thing for me with this... Standard is, job interview. <laughs> yes. Is, well, England just weren't interested. And, you know, he wanted to play for England. And I don't really can't get to the bottom of this, but I believe there's some problem with Glenn Hoddle during his time at Chelsea, which is what prompted him to kind of, you know, never really make the breakthrough at Chelsea and to go to Leicester. And then, of course, Glenn Hoddle became England manager. So I think that was connected. Um, but Leicester fans couldn't believe it. I mean, absolutely bemused. They were watching these this player give like nine out of ten performances every week in a position that England could have hugely benefited from, and yet he was never picked. So in the end, he thought, right, OK, I'll go and play for Turkey instead. And, and it was England's loss, definitely. Yeah, I'm going, to, I'm going to turn the tables a little bit here on you, Steve, because I know you're going to do a quiz later on. Can you name the name of the youth football side that Muzzy is a played for? Send rap. Yeah. Don't come another, at the king, another, Peter. Another, another, <laughs> one, another, one, another one from Senrab, huh? How many yeah. does, We've had a fair few already, like. Yeah, well, we talked about uh, we talked about Senrab in the Ugo Ekiog uh, yeah. episode, yeah, yeah, and just like an absolute, you know, ridiculous list of uh, of players who came from them. Obviously, you know, King of Kings, uh, Scott Cannum, <laughs> obviously came from Senrab, but yeah, uh, unbelievable, really. And um, but he he didn't really he wasn't the type of player though that that it felt like he came for, through like a you know like a kind of academy or anything like that. Definitely one of those players who through kind of like his own initiative and playing on the street and stuff like that, that he, yeah. that he learned his way. And that's how he became like real baller. He's got, he had rough edges to him, which is probably why he appealed to Martin O'Neill. So unfortunately his, his career ended slightly prematurely, Peter. It's kind of unfortunate really, you know, that we see these things happening to, to players of such unbelievable ability. Yeah. You know, and especially kind of even, even for him, like he'd moved on to Birmingham, kind of finally moved and, and, in 2004 and I suppose money you know there was he, he would have been on the money was in the Premier League by then like one of the reasons he had to had to leave Leicester was because they couldn't afford his, his 30k 
a week wages. Yeah, but like for a player like him, especially because he could have easily kind of, he probably wouldn't have been able to cover as much ground as he did in that Leicester team, but he could have played on for a good few years easily because he, he was so technically good. He could have maybe moved forward slightly in midfield, would have earned a, a lot more money and he, he could have kept going at Premier League level. So for any footballer, you know, I wouldn't say he was on his, in his prime at 32, but he easily could have got, gone for another three or four years. So, um, yeah, it's, it's always, it must be, it must be heartbreaking as a player when that happens, you know. Steve, obviously you're in Wales and not England, but I mean, you might be able to relate to this more than, than me and Peter living in Ireland. But Muzzy is it was the son of Turkish immigrants born and raised in London. You know, he grew, you know, he, he looked white, but he had a name like Mustafa. So I can only imagine, like, in the East End, that, you know, it must have been difficult, especially back then. Uh, I'd say it, he probably had to, you know, grow a, a thick skin. Yeah, well, he's the same age as me. And so when I look back to particularly very early, you know, kind of naught to 10, you know, up to kind of the late 80s, let's say, it was a very different time, kind of England and, you know, by extension, Wales too. You know, that, that was when kind of there was a lot of, ignorance a lot of prejudice around that and maybe hopefully it was easier for him kind of growing up in my land london you know quite a multicultural kind of area um but certainly as as a rule kind of england and wales back in the 80s was was not a pleasant place um and as you say if you've got a name like like mustafa and you know of uh, turkish cyprian descent then it may well have encountered kind of racism but i don't want a uh, trivialised, I don't want to be flippant here, but any times I, I kind of hear of footballers and their upbringing, particularly in school, not so much kind of socially and out and about, but particularly in school, being such a, a very good footballer does tend to make you a popular figure in school. And, you know, I have read many accounts of people who've said that they've, you know, they had a good experience in school because they were the superstar. So hopefully that was the case with him. Yeah, it's definitely actually something we I think we brought up mainly in the in the Paul McGrath episode where like you know he's a, he's a black kid growing up in Dublin. Same mm. with Muzzy is it again white skinned, but you know he he was half Turkish growing up in London, and football is that kind of escape, and it kind of it also breaks down those barriers as well. So you know he's someone who's who's definitely sees himself as English anyway. But uh, Peter, I'll give the last word to you. What what do you think Muzzy is it's legacy to English football is? He's a legend of Leicester City, which is forgetting kind of like Man United and Arsenal and, you know, Blackburn in the early 90s. You're talking about like kind of entertaining teams that, you know, were almost your kind of second team when you were a kid growing up. They're up there with the likes of that magical Middlesbrough team as well. And uh, he's an absolute 90s Premier League legend as far as I'm concerned. Yeah, and it's funny because obviously before the Premier League win and stuff like that, this would have been considered a golden era for Leicester. Sure. Whereas now it's kind of like, we've won the Premier League, now we're in the Champions League and Europa League, you know, like forget about that. But yeah, Muzzy is a latest entrant into the 90s Football Hall of Fame and he's a very deserving member. Uh, up next, we've got a quiz. Right, it's time for our 90s quiz. The rules are very simple, lads. I'll ask the question, you say your name to buzz in, then you've got 10 seconds to give an answer. The best out of five is the winner. So this week we are going to play a game of Who Am I? So I will give you the clues and you have to give me the name of the player. So are we ready to go? Yeah. Right. Number one, 
I made my international debut for Brazil in 1993 and I scored in the game. I played in two World Cup finals and my club career saw me play in Brazil, Italy, Angola. Ronaldo, the original and best Ronaldo. Incorrect. I'll finish it. My club career saw me play in Brazil, Italy, Angola, Spain, Greece and Uzbekistan. Uh, it's uh, Peter. Go ahead, Peter. Roberto Carlos. Roberto Carlos is incorrect. It is Rivaldo. Ah, bollocks. Uh, that's what I, I said. You, you missed me. Oh, sorry, Steve. One, 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 no. Uh, yeah, randomly went to Uzbekistan that time. Right, question two. I've played in Germany, Italy, Austria, and France. I've won Serie A and scored the first ever golden goal in international football. Peter. Go ahead, Peter. Oliver Bierhoff. Oliver Bierhoff is correct. Super. That is really good. Yeah, scored that winning goal against the Czech Republic in the Euro 96 final, of course. Question three. I've played in the Conference League 2, League 1, Championship, Premier League, the UEFA Cup, Champions League and the World Cup. Wow. Now, I knew this one without even looking at the answer. Wow. Um, Peter. Go ahead, Peter. Jamie Vardy. Incorrect. No. No, no one's coming to mind. Um, Franz Carr. So, can you name them? So he played in all the divisions. In he played from the conference to the Premier League. He also yeah. played in the UEFA Cup, Champions League and the World Cup. He won the Champions League. What country was it he played in the World Cup for? Ooh. Does, it, does it give it away? I think so. <laughs> uh, hmm. It's the 2002 World Cup. Oh, okay. Um... No, well, that doesn't help. <laughs> I can't think of anyone. I'll pass. Give me a second. That's some achievement, though, isn't it? Whoever it is. He played for Ireland. Oh, Peter. Go ahead, Peter. Steve Finnan. Steve Finnan is the correct answer. I told you to give it away, Steve. <laughs> uh, I wouldn't have got it. I wouldn't have got it. Yeah, I, I, I didn't know he, he, he went through all those divisions. I really didn't. I know he went, you know, he played a couple of them, but. I'm pretty sure he. He's won the title in each of those divisions as well, I wow. think. Yeah, so there you go. Steve Finnan, 2-0 then to Peter. Question four. I was the first Liverpool player to win the Ballon d'Or. I scored 40 goals Steven. for my country. Go ahead, Steve. Oh, God. I, can, I, can I just clarify, with Peter's permission, can, did he win the Ballon d'Or with Liverpool or was he just, he's been a Liverpool player at some point in his career? Absolutely not. Stop <laughs> All right, I'll He was the first Liverpool player to win the Ballon d'Or. Okay. So that the first Liverpool player. Because Keegan won it. I scored. I scored forty goals for my country and played in England and Spain. Yeah, that's Michael Owen. Michael Owen is correct. So that makes it two-one to Peter, and this is now question five. I was originally a striker before becoming a defender. I played eleven seasons for the same club before managing them. Go ahead. I've just heard striker to defender and I've gone for Paul Warhurst. I think I've jumped the gun. <laughs> you definitely have. <laughs> definitely have. Yeah, I think we're going for a different calibre of player here. <laughs> okay, striker before being a defender. Played 11 seasons for the same club before managing them. I've won two Bundesliga titles and a Champions League. As a manager or as a player? As a manager. Uh, I don't know. You're Pinkes. Pink- Incorrect. I, I'm gonna pass. I don't know. Steve, you love this manager. You absolutely love this manager. What? <laughs> Striker to defender. He won two Bundesligas and the Champions League, but as a manager. 
Yes. Oh, God. No? Who's won the... Otmar Hitzfeld. Incorrect, lads. It's Jurgen Klopp. Right. <laughs> Okay, he left the Premier League and yeah, I, I think it was with defender to forward. I mean, he was a crap footballer. Let's face yeah, exactly. it. Exactly. Yeah. I'm not having that. That's fake. <laughs> <laughs> Peter wins. That is the end of our quiz and the end of this episode. I think, lads. So uh, please, everyone, take a moment to uh, give us a nice little review on Apple. If you could, tell your friends about us. Make sure you're subscribed to listen to all of our podcast offerings, including the Fantasy Faithful, our weekly FBL show. And of course, head to thefootballfaithful.com for even more content goodness. Thanks a million for joining me, lads. Stee, where can people listen to uh, your podcast, 9320? 9320, you'll find it on my Twitter page, I guess, because I'll put the links up on there. So it's sdjudah123 on Twitter. Brilliant. Thanks for joining me this week, Steve. Pleasure, mate. Thank you, Peter. Cheers, lads. And thank you for listening. Derby have changed their defensive formation. They usually play with three at the back. They've gone in with a back line of four, but they're all over the place at the moment. Here come Leicester again with Heskey. And is it? Well, this is incredible. We haven't had two minutes and 15 seconds, and it's 2-0 to Leicester City. Wow, this is quite incredible. Quite incredible. Great ball in, and Heskey's pace is always going to cause problems. This goal's all about the cross. You put in a cross like that, I'm sorry, you just can't defend it. The quality's there. He's given Robert absolutely no chance, but he's saying to Muzzy, is it? Go on, son, do you want yourself a goal early? And is it? He doesn't disappoint. That's another great hit.